All right, if you can hear me, clap your hands once. If you can hear me, clap your hands twice. All right. Some of you get that, some of you don't. All right, we're really excited you guys are with us today. Is it pretty cool to be upstairs in the upstairs church? Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for being willing to sit here and to listen. We thank you so much, guys, for sharing your story of this week. If you didn't have the chance to be here this week, it was awesome seeing these guys praising God and, and just being all over the, the camp. And, and it was really awesome when Miss Carol went down the slip and slide. We had a great week. Uh, and so if you didn't get to see what was going on here, you got to miss a beautiful example of what I'm going to preach about today. But before we do that, why don't we go ahead and pray and uh, thank God for the opportunity to worship this morning. So precious Lord, we thank you and we love you. And uh, God, you are amazing. You are mighty. Uh, as we were reminded through thunder and lightning this week, God, just how powerful you are even. And so God, as we talk about the gospel in action this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will speak to each one of our hearts exactly how we need to, to have you speak to us. And so God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I ran summer camps for a while, and I also had a lot uh, going on with VBS and my ministry career, and I know that immediately following a week of VBS, there's, there's friendships and there's relationships that have been kindled and built, and even among the leadership, because it feels like sometimes maybe you've been a part of a team in your life, maybe a football team or the band or Boy Scouts, or you had maybe uh, just something uh, where you had one of these epic moments where you were a part of something, and you came through something, and at the very end of that thing, there was just this understanding and this relationship that you had with the people that struggled through this. I took a team of missionaries to Africa, and, and I'm very tight with those people in a unique way because we had a struggle that we shared together, and at the end, it was glorifying God, and I have a deep relationship with those folks. The students that I work with, when we go on mission trips, we always, I always tell them we'll never be in this moment again. And, and maybe some of you counselors have felt that this week as you worked as a team with people maybe you didn't normally talk to. Or, you know, and, and, and those of you that were in band and maybe you had a, a, a show that you did or you know, football teams or hockey teams or whatever it is you do, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's something about that, that band of brothers. If you're a war veteran, you, you get this more than anybody. That when you come through a struggle together, relying on each other, being there for one another, there's a strength that comes from that. But I'm going to tell you right now, we as a Christian community should get that above anybody else. Because in all of those things, in all of our friendships, and all of our relationships, they can only go so deep. But when you have Christ in the mix, they can go to a whole other level that just can't even be explained. And so hopefully you're experiencing that because that's what we're talking about this morning as we finish up our series called The Gospel in Action. This morning we're talking about how the gospel creates community. And as it dawned on me as, as we've been going through this sermon series called The Gospel in Action that we've talked a lot about how we as a church need to join in Christ in the message of the gospel, amen? And we need to join in His sufferings. We talked about how we need to be bold and how we need to not be ashamed, how we need to do things in love, and how that there's moments in our life when we must take a stand for truth, right kids? There's some times when we've got to take a stand, right? There's sometimes where in our faith we're called to be silent. And we've seen all of these things over the past week and how we're to do that for the gospel. But something we purposely saved for this morning was this. What is the gospel? I'll tell you what the gospel is. 
The gospel is the most significant thing that the earth has ever seen. The message of the gospel is the most important message that there is. It is greater than anything that the media can tell you. It is greater than any label that has been put upon you. It can defeat any sin that has grabbed a hold of you. Any addiction. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care what you have done. I don't care if in your mind you think you have outsinned God. I'm here to tell you that the grace and mercy of God is bigger than anything that you have done. And when Jesus went to that cross and He died on that cross... He made it possible for all of us to have the opportunity to confess Jesus and dwell with Him forever. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, He created them in His image. He created them innocent. He created them in in a a pure way. But what happens is, is because Satan is miserable and hates anything good, he snuck into the Garden of Eden and he tricked Adam and Eve not so much tricked them as He just revealed to them that they can sin. Because the reality is, is we're all messed up. We're all broken. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? Look around and tell the people around you how messed up they are. Okay? And then be ready to receive it. Because you're messed up. I'm messed up. I do this often. We're all messed up. In that Garden of Eden, God created a perfect reflection of Himself in Adam and Eve. And when sin entered the concept, and when sin came in, when Adam didn't stand up for his woman, when Eve took the apple, sin entered the world, and that reflection that God made us as was shattered into hundreds and hundreds of little pieces. And so what we have done as people is, is we've begun to try to reconstruct who we are, try to figure out who we are. And in our lives, we try to fill those broken voids in our life with all kinds of stuff, whether it be alcohol, other addictive things, all kinds of stuff. And we find that the more we try to fill those voids in our life, the more empty we feel. And the reality of that is, is because God and man used to dwell together in the garden, and then when sin entered, there was a big divide put between God and man. God knew that that wasn't what He wanted for His people. He knew that because there was sin, sin had to be fixed with a sacrifice. When you go out to eat at dinner, you got to pay the bill, right? And with sin, there comes a hefty cost. There has to be blood. There has to be sacrifice. And so God, not, not sparing on the tip, okay? God went all out. God didn't just just say, oh, well, maybe I'll get for these people or for these people. No, God sparing nothing sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live, to love us, to be an example of what love is, and then to die as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. When He died on that cross, He gave up Himself. And when He died, that gap between God and man could be fixed. When He rose from the dead and went to His Father's house to prepare a place for us, He said to us, I want you to confess Me before man. And if you can confess Me before man, He's not telling us our life is going to be super easy. He's not going to say magical pixies and fairies are going to drop down and make us fly. He's not saying that. What's being told to us is this very difficult, hard life is going to be doable. He's saying this very difficult, hard life is going to bring glory to Me whether you have cancer, whether you have the flu, or something else. Then when Christ 
died on the cross, He set us free from the bondage of sin. We were freed from that stuff. And all we have to do is ask for forgiveness and confess Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our reward is eternal life. It's not because we look the part. It's not because we make enough money. It's not because you have the right job. It's not because you can say the right prayer. It's not because you have the biggest Bible in the world. It's simply because God loves you. Listen to me, people. God loves you more, as much today as He ever will. He will never never love you any more. He will never love you any less. He always has and always will love you. He's begging and pleading for us by sending Jesus to cry out to Him. That is the message of the Gospel. The message of the Gospel that we have been transformed and set free and been given a second chance at life. A chance to take that broken image of God that we are and to have that restored by His power. That is the Gospel message that we're talking about. So when we read about John and Peter and Paul and Timothy and all these guys going out and suffering for the cause of the Gospel, that's what they're suffering for. They're not preaching some weird philosophy of of, of alchemy or anything weird like that. They're preaching a gospel message. And they were beaten, they were killed, they were persecuted, they were destroyed, but they were not defeated. Because it wasn't in their power, it was by the power of God that the gospel message, every time the Pharisees tried to stop it, every time the the Romans tried to stop it, I don't care what union they belonged to that tried to stop them, the the gospel continued to spread because of what we're going to read today. I don't know about you. As a believer, that's not something we should be ashamed to share. That, amen. Come on, you can clap for that. That is not something we should be timid about because we have the greatest news in all the world. And it's like we're afraid to share it with people. The church has been given this image of being this place, well, really it's just a place of rules and regulations. The reality is is that is so wrong because this is a place of freedom. The gospel is a place that sets us free from that stuff and shows us how we can truly live. How we can look at the messed up junk that we've done in our life and say, God is going to fix this. God is going to make this right. We cannot sin the glory or the, the love of the Lord. And He will take your biggest weakness and He will make it your biggest strength. Do you believe that today? Because if you're telling me you believe that, then we can't sit idly by not sharing this message. Because if we say we're afraid... We've just said we believe that God will provide. We understand, as we talked in past week, the coming part of the gospel is joining in the suffering of Christ. That some of us are going to be called to be miserable. Some of us are going to die from cancer. Some of us are going to get things. Some of us are going to go broke. Some of us are going to be exceptionally wealthy. Some of us are going to have everything handed to us. But it's not our responsibility to tell God what our will is. You take what God has given you and you use it for His glory and He will do amazing things through very little or through very much. Does that make sense? We've said that's what the gospel is. we said that's what going and sharing the gospel is. And church, we've talked about how we as a church need to be going out and boldly proclaiming this, how we can't be timid, how there are moments in our faith where we've got to be silent and simply take persecutions. We've talked about moments where we need to stand uh, firm 
for the truth, as Paul did when he broke out of prison and then refused to be let go. That cracks me up. I'm not letting, you're not letting me go until you come and explain to me some things. There's a time for us to be bold. And here in Acts 20, we see at the end of a story, a true story. We're earlier in chapter 19, Paul and Timothy and the guys are preaching a gospel message in the church of Ephesus. And so what happens is, is when you begin to spread the good news of the true God, all the false gods kind of fall by the wayside, right? If you start hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ, Artemis and Dionysus and, and all the other gods, they're not going to make sense anymore. So people quit buying the idols. And this is how messed up some of this stuff can be. You had a group, a union of silversmiths, a union of metal workers who get together. They're not mad about the spiritual side of things. They're mad because Paul hit them in their wallet. These people aren't buying into these, these idols that we make anymore. And Paul's saying that there's power in God, there's power in Jesus. Well, we've got to put a stop to this. The entire city of Ephesus went into an uproar, went into a riotous uh, phase. How many of you guys remember the Rodney King riots? That's what's happening in Ephesus over the message of the gospel. And so Paul, wanting to address the situation, prepares to go to a theater in Ephesus and share, hey guys, look, this is ridiculous. We've got to stop this. The gospel message is love. It's, it's not about this. And instead, somebody else goes, and people bring these, these, uh, the Christians, the, the followers of the way, into a theater, and, and they're forced to explain themselves, and they can realistically bring no charges against them. So you have this riot that's going on. The Christians are finally set free because it's absolutely ridiculous. That is the stage in which this has taken place. For three years, Paul has ministered at a church in Ephesus. And let me tell you right now, some churches think they have problems. The church in Ephesus had issues. But you know what I love about Paul? Is he should have and he could have left a lot earlier. Because in the American church today, there's a saying that when the going gets tough, the pastor gets going, right? And I'm going to tell you, church, We've got to kill that mindset. When the going gets tough, the congregation leaves. Is that how it should be? What we learn from Paul in this instant is when the going gets tough, the church gets tougher. The church should stick it out. Listen to me. We are not a glorified country club who likes to sing songs. We are a community of believers unified under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when things start going rough, we don't just simply divorce. We don't just simply take up our ball and go play somewhere else. We work it out. Paul stayed in Ephesus. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to hurt Paul badly. Please read this scripture later to see how badly. I've got little ears in here, so I'm being merciful. Paul had a reason to leave. But through a great example, he was not a coward. And he stuck it out. And I think a lot of times as Christians... We bail way too early on the things that we should stand firm on. And I'm not talking church membership. Are you in the Word? Are you reading what God has to say to you? Are you committed to something that we just sang earlier, that if all we had was God, we would be satisfied with that? Do we really believe that? Because I'm going to tell you what, when Paul was staring death in the face several times, I can guarantee you he was confident in who he was in the Lord. Not because of anything he did, but because of who Jesus was. Does that make sense? 
Let's get to the scripture. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know, I have lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Can I just say that's one of the most understated statements in the world? Severely tested. You were beaten and put in prison and tried to kill like a bajillion times. My tests are a lot easier than that. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul didn't just sit at the pulpit and preach. He went and hung out with people. He ministered to people one-on-one. He was corporate and he was personal. I have declared to both Jew and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as Paul's preparing to leave, he reminds them of the example that he was. And usually when we hear someone say, I'm the humblest guy I know, we think, yeah, right. But I think with tears in his eyes and sorrow in his heart, Paul is, is, is stating this to the church leaders. And I do believe it was with humility. And us as a church, we need to learn that, that humility is something that we need to do more of. Because a lot of times when we stumble in our sins, we're so quick to point out everybody else's fault and shoot our wounded that instead of helping people, we just kill them. And as a church, we need to be more humble with the way that we're in community. We need to be more humble with the way that we love one another. Amen? Paul was a great example of this. Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel. We preached whole sermons on this. Some of you may be called to suffer. That's the condition of sin. It's an ugly thing. But I promise, as it did in Paul's life, God will use those hurtful things for His glory. Moving along, we get to verse 22. We see Paul as being an example to the Ephesians. We see Paul also offer a charge to the church. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Can I tell you, when Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, what he's really saying is, I know what's going to happen to me. I'm about to get crushed. I remember playing on an ice hockey team and we were clearly outmatched. I had no idea what was going to happen in that game other than I knew I was going to get crushed. You know what I'm talking about, right? And Paul in this moment is saying to the Ephesians, he's saying, I don't know what's about to happen. I know I'm going to get crushed. But because of who I am in Christ, I am not afraid. I am not fearful. I'm not going to let a little pain deter me from sharing the good news of Jesus. Paul is going to Jerusalem, to the lion's den, so to speak. Or he will face persecution, where he will be beaten up, battered, and bruised. In this moment, that's what they're thinking. The Ephesian leaders know what's happening here. He says this in verse 24. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I only may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. When we look at our lives and all the awards and plaques and certifications and trophies and whatever you want to say, 
I've, I've been with people who are dying a lot. And I'm going to tell you right now, those aren't the things they're asking for when they're going out of this world. When people are leaving this world, they make statements like, I wish I had done more. I left so much unsaid. I've left so much undone. And Paul's giving us a warning here. He says, people, go out in such a way that when you go out, you're not ashamed. Go out that you have finished the race that God has given you. Go out in such a way, and I use this all the time, and there's a lot of realities that it doesn't work, but I want to be so exhausted when I get to heaven because I left it all here. Not because that's what God requires, but because that's what I get to do. I don't have to love my wife. I get to love my wife. We don't have to go out and share the gospel. We get to. It should be something that brings us joy because it brings joy to the Father. Does that make sense? This isn't about works, people. This isn't about, that's, you can't screw this up. Do you get that? You can't screw this up. You just got to be willing. I consider it, uh, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I may only finish the race. He says in Romans 9, 1, when talking about the fallen away Jews, he said, I, I wish that I could actually just give my spot up in eternity so that my brothers, my wayward brothers could have it. Are you at that point in your life where you love Jesus so much that you'd be willing to give up your spot in heaven for someone else to have it? That's intense right there. I don't think it's even possible, but it's intense. Paul continues on with a warning to the church. He says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought uh, with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own numbers, men will rise and distort the truth. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of false doctrines and theologies being taught in the church throughout America. There's a lot of things being said, like if you are just good enough and you pray hard enough, God will give you everything you want. I'm going to tell you, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's not our will be done, it's God's will be done. And if we're not careful as believers, we're going to buy whatever anybody else is selling. I'm here to tell you right now, I don't want you to ever believe anything I ever tell you from the pulpit unless it is backed up with Scripture. I don't care who's preaching here, I don't care who's preaching over there, or in any church. If the Holy Scriptures do not back up what we're saying, it is not right. It's called being a Berean. The Word of God is truth. The truth can withstand questions. The truth can withstand quest uh, uh, thoughts. So if what we're teaching is right, it should be backed up in here. We get so worried about certain things. That's a wolf. False teachers are wolves. Other, other wolves that show up in our congregations are things like music style and the color of carpet. I talk about this all the time. It drives me bonkers. God is not concerned with how long our bake sale is going to go. God is concerned with whether people are meeting Jesus or not. And when we as a church begin to fight and squabble over stupid things, God weeps. Listen to me, church. When we begin to fight and squabble over serious things, God weeps. We fight and argue over things like baptism. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have the conversation, but we let it divide the body of Christ. And I think that grieves God's heart. And I think sometimes those things can become wolves 
And in our human way, we make them bigger deals than they are. I hope you hear my heart on that. We, we forget about people going to hell. We, we get so busy about what sinners are doing that we forget to love them. Right? We've got to be careful of wolves. I'm going to tell you right now, we live in a day and age where the church will come under fire, where we will be persecuted by the outside. People aren't going to understand what we're doing. We're going to be called bigots. We're going to be called liars. We're going to be called whatever. And the reality of it is, it's okay. Because if we know who we are in Christ, the Bible tells us that we're going to face opposition. I think as American Christians, we've lost the ability to be dependent on God. Because when you go outside the walls of this nation, people live in poverty all the time. They live in persecution all the time. They, they know what it's like to have to depend on God. In our luxury, I'm going to tell you right now, God has blessed the socks off of us to the point that sometimes I wonder if it's a curse. Because we don't know how to depend on God because we have everything at our hands, right? I hear Christians all the time praying for revival in our land and then they wonder why the, the government and the society is, is going down the hill. God thrives in persecution. It is said that the greatest, um, the greatest evangelist of our time was Chairman Mao in China when he made the church illegal. If you're serious about praying for a revival in our country, are you prepared for the answer we're going to get? Are you prepared as a community of believers to undertake the gospel message and to begin to share it when the government may even tell you it's wrong? Because that's the wolf that he's talking about. We are Christians. We are a community. We are a body of evangelists. We are about love. We are about forgiveness, grace, and mercy. That's who we are. Does that make sense, everybody? And finally, as Paul ends his little momentous letter here, he does something that reminds me of when Pastor Wade left. He says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus, who said, it is, we are more blessed to give than to receive. When he said this, he knelt down with them and he prayed, and they all wept because they knew they would never see him again. As a body of believers, regardless of whether we agree or disagree on how many layers of clothes we should wear to church, can we weep with one another in moments like that? Can we stand firm, unified, together like that? Can we go to a different city like Aliquippa and come alongside the churches that may look different than ours or have a different financial policy than us? Can we go to Jamaica like the, like the senior high, middle school and parents are right now? And can we fall in love with people who speak a very different but similar language than us? Can we do that as a church? Because the community of the church does not exist on this little farm. The community of the church exists all over the place. Do you know the word Catholic, in, in the, when, when we say, when we say uh, um, the Holy Catholic Church, is referring to the universal church, the church all over. 
It's not referring to a denomination or a set belief. It's referring to the fact that Triumph Baptist down the road should be our friends. That the little church up on the hill is our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is down in Swickley. The church is on the north side. We're not competing. We're, We're in the same boat together. We're in a community. Paul, Paul made a beautiful statement, and, and I'm going to close with it. He said, you've got to be ready. He's talking, this is with Timothy. He says, you've got to be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season. And the reality is, if you're ready to share the gospel, you probably won't get to. But the moment you're not ready to share the gospel, you should be looking for that opportunity. Because you never know when it's going to come up. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you begin to get involved in what God's doing, you're going to experience depths in your marriage, in your relationships with your friends, with your children, that you can't even begin to imagine of how deep you can go. Some of you have been on mission teams or been involved in something, and you know what I'm talking about. You can have a best friend for life, but when that friend accepts Christ, it takes it to a whole nother level because you have a unified cause, and that's Christ. Let me tell you, folks, Christ will set you free. Christ makes life awesome. Doesn't necessarily make it easier, but I'm going to tell you right right now, God is good. He, He is so good. And He is longing for a relationship with you. And He is longing for His children to have a relationship with one another. Let it be said of us, Christ Church, that our goal is to complete the task that was laid before us and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to have the band come up. We changed this up last minute. I was so blown away by that song that they did, Explode My Soul. I just can't think of a better way to say what our heart's desire should be when we truly understand Christ. We should desire for our hearts to explode all over. Not in some kind of like canned way, not in some kind of judiciary, well, you got to do this, this, and this, and this. No. And just this way of love and this way of the gospel where we reach out to people. So I ask them to come and to, to sing this song as we close. And I want you to be ministered to by the lyrics of this song. We can even bring the lights down a little bit just so people can worship. And so, Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for Paul's example, for Paul's sacrifice for the way that the church in Ephesus did not give up when it got rough, but they stayed committed to the cause of you. Jesus, help us to do that. Provide us opportunities to demonstrate love, to speak to people about the fact that, God, you sent your son Jesus to willingly die for our sins. You're so good, God. We are so undeserving. And we thank you that you love us anyway. In your name we pray, amen.